faithful listeners. Welcome back to Laser Focus. This is the uh, Nerdist Deep Dive podcast about all sorts of pop culture-y things. My name's Kyle Anderson. This week, it's it's been bubbling up since episode two when we kind of mentioned it. Um, but now more than ever, we just absolutely need to talk about the X-Men, the current run in the comics, the cartoon coming back, the possible future in the MCU, but mostly the comics is what we want to talk about because it's yeah. really good right now. Um, and I am joined once again by comic book extraordinary uh, fan, knowledgeable person extraordinaire, and also like lifelong X-Men fan, Eric Diaz. Hello, Eric. Hello. Thanks for having me. Of course. There was literally no one else I would rather talk to about X-Men with. Um, except maybe Jerry Duggan. But... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, man. Um, really stoked to, to get into all this X-Men stuff. But first, of course, we have to do the Nerdy Nine, which, of course, if you remember, you pick a number between one and nine. I ask you your favorite of those things, and then we talk about it for a minute. Last time you picked five, so don't pick five. Okay. I will pick seven number seven what is your favorite theme song oh this is okay instrumental twin peaks oh um, i mean that's some excellent yeah. stuff with lyrics Ooh, i'm trying to think there's some that are lyrics that i like them just because they're cheesy <laughs> a lot of sure. the theme songs with the lyrics are cheesy um I mean, if we're going back to instrumental X-Men, I mean, let's keep things on topic. The X-Men opening Absolutely. theme is, is up there, too. Um, so many so... good 90s ones. Yeah. Um, I mean, 90s, yeah, I, I feel I, like. Yeah. It yeah. was the peak because they don't really do that anymore. There's almost no, no theme songs for. There's, I mean, there's Game of Thrones, and stuff, but there's almost no none with smoking words. I can't think of any really with, with like, speaking, but, like, if we're talking just instrumental get you in the mood it's probably yeah twin peaks then maybe um star trek the next generation and x-men star trek the next generation was great well that of course is the jerry goldsmith score right. from recycled the motion picture yeah um but it's an excellent piece of music like that mm -hmm. and it and it sits really like it feels much more kind of fitting than as much as i love the james horner stuff from the the later movies like i think the the I, look I, you and i both talked about that I, I am a uh, TMP apologist. I love the motion yeah. picture. Yeah, a lot of people um, actually have come around on that one. I, I have mixed feelings. I think it's a great screensaver. Like I put it on a lot. <laughs> it just really to is. Like I, I, I like to put it on just to kind of have it on, but it's like it rarely engages me like, narratively, <laughs> sure. especially when they're just staring at the view screen for like five minutes. Yeah. Um, but it's pretty. I mean, certainly there's a reason it got nominated for best visual effects. Like it's really cool, yeah. but um, sometimes I like my, my sci-fi slow and dull, you know, not all the time, yeah. but sometimes. And I just, I kind of vibe with that movie. It's a little, it's closer to uh, 2001, which I think was oh, what they, everybody was. They really were. Yeah. That was the idea. It, they wanted to like kind of copy the 2001 and it was right after star Wars and people wanted star Wars, oh, yeah. <laughs> you know, it was like, we don't, that's all that's why moonraker came out that's why, <laughs> why moonraker was moonraker yeah moonraker is insane yeah. uh it's got but it has amazing uh laser effects at the end and stuff about space those was all derek meddings i forget who did um was that doug trumbull who did um the tmp effects yes no, I, I think he's, i, I want to say that that's who it was yeah and or John i think Dyke he was one of one of the many people on the team of effects people 
yeah. the effects in the motion picture really hold up. They look great. They really like, do. Yeah. They spent a you know, lot I mean, of they recycle and they recycled those effects and props and things for almost 20 years. I mean, that's <laughs> how much they spent on that movie. Like things yeah. from the motion picture were used. And I, I'm pretty sure I did an article about it once. Like the, the regular one space station, Star Trek two is from, you know, obviously the ship, the Klingon birds of prey, like they just were like, or the Klingon cruisers, everything was reused. Mm-hmm. You know, those the motion picture Klingon uniforms introduced in that movie were used all the way through the end of Deep Space Nine in 1999. They used them literally for 20 years. They just refit them for new actors. You know, that's that's the magic of Star Trek. Star Trek was always about for a long time, like recycle, reuse. You know, yeah. we don't have Star Wars budgets, so we have to be inventive. Yeah, and then when they would do stuff like, like you can re- redress, you know, a. a a bridge set or whatever that, but like deep space nine, it's like, we're going to use this and we're going to use every inch of this for the entirety of the time that we're making this show. And they really made yeah. the most out of it. Anyway, we were talking about theme songs, <laughs> but Star yeah. Trek Twin Peaks is my favorite. Twin Peaks. Favorite. It's an excellent yeah. theme song. The, the late, great, uh, Angelo Badalamente. Yeah. Very, very good. And like really sets the mood for that show. The whole the kind thing. Of like, I, yeah, I, to this day, remember, the feeling when the return happened and it was playing on my TV again. And it was like, is this happening? Yeah. Like just like having the theme. Cause I didn't know if they would incorporate the theme song. You know, right. the movie didn't. So like, are this going to have a whole new, and it was like, wow, this still works exactly the same. Evokes the same mood 25 years on. Like it's crazy. Absolutely. It's such a great piece of music. Yeah. It's, it's, it's one of my favorites. I said, th- I mean, the music battle of music in all of David Lentz's stuff is, is great so great and evocative and weird i mean just like everything you'd want from a from a david lynch score um yep. weird and weird and industrial at times of course yep um yeah jazzy that's and a good fun at times yes um and and like kind of mickey mousey a little bit too during the show mm-hmm. like because yep. because it is kind of like nighttime soap operas are kind of stupid so let's make fun of those a little bit yep <laughs> Um, yeah. Well, thank you very much for the nerdy nine. Uh, once you come back, you'll have a different thing to pick. Um, but speaking of soap operas, let's get into this X-Men stuff. So, (laughs) yeah, like a quick, I guess, um, I guess our bona fides or whatever. I, I definitely got into X-Men because of the cartoon. Like that's when I got into all the, the uh, Batman, the animated series, X-Men, the animated series and Spider-Man, the animated series were my introduction to comics like that's when i started right. really reading comics like seeking them out there were characters i liked there were visuals that i liked like i definitely was um into the jim lee era stuff um because of the the cartoon and that's because that's what the characters looked like to me um i have since gone back and you know as you you can see behind me all my x-men comics and stuff mm-hmm. um i like the claremont stuff best just because that's where all the best stories came from absolutely um, but still looking at like the the 90s era images, it's like that to me, even even Rob Liefeld stuff like that feels like X-Men to me because yeah, that's even me like, too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I mean, I ranked the Jim Lee roster as the best. I just think that's the best roster, except they don't have Kurt and Kitty. But other than yeah. that, that is like the X-Men that I think is in most people's minds when they think of the team. Mm-hmm. You know, like it just it really is. I mean, yeah. not. For me, I go a little bit earlier because I'm older, but like I, I, I recognize that that's the most iconic lineup. 
Yeah. And I think that was the one, like when they started making the movies, that's kind of what they were going off of. Like, yeah. um, you know, they didn't use everybody from the lineup initially, but like everybody kind of showed up and to the point where like Kurt and, um, Piotr are barely in the movies. Like Kurt has a much bigger part next to, but Colossus didn't really have anything to do until he was the joke in Deadpool. Um, right. And he's good. And I mean, I like Colossus in that it's a good foil, but like, um, it is weird. He's such a main X-Men character that he yeah. was really so marginalized in those movies. Yeah. He gets a cool moment in X2, but it's like, he's really not to me. He's as core as Wolverine and storm. Oops. And, um, you know, Nightcrawler, like that's those, those and Cyclops. Yeah. And the fact that he's sort of like, Oh yeah, there he is in the background for, you know, two, three movies is weird. <laughs> But. Yeah, totally. <laughs> it's like that. Well, I mean, honestly, I think and that's the problem with a lot of those movies is that they don't know what to do with all the characters because there are yes. so many X-Men characters. And so they were just like, let's just make it about Wolverine again. Let's not take yeah. any risks. Yeah. Like and and one of the best things about the comics is that everybody gets featured like it is truly an ensemble yeah. um, when written. And then, every you know. Wolverine especially, but other characters have their own spin-off show or not shows, <laughs> spin-off uh comic books like solo adventures. Yeah. Um, They've always struggled with that with every X-Men that's not Wolverine though. Yeah. Like their attempts at really doing like a an ongoing series like like what I mean ongoing like years and years and years with any X-Men character that's not Wolverine has kind of fizzled out. Like they just get yeah. mini series now. Like for yeah. whatever reason Wolverine's the one that can carry his own title forever. Um, yeah which i wish it was different like i'd buy a storm book forever mm -hmm. you know but they they just they struggle with that and it makes hard it... when you have characters that are introduced as part of an ensemble yeah. to then make them solo characters because people just they want their interactions with everybody else and mm -hmm. then when you when you do that you, you have a solo book for them and it's like yeah but i want to see storm talk to kitty or whoever right and you don't get that it, it's it's jarring so I don't know, maybe that's why, but yeah, for whatever reason, Wolverine's the one. Yeah. And, and has been like, you know, 82 was his first miniseries yep. and then 88, they were just like, all right, now he has a book and that's just it for the rest of the time. Um, you know, and he teams up with other people, but even, even now there's still a solo Wolverine book, even though yeah. he's on X-Force, like has yeah, the he'll always have his own book. Yeah. yeah. He'll always have his own book now. Um, but yeah, so we obviously are big X-Men fans within the last couple of years. Re well, really with the Jonathan Hickman led run, uh, beginning with House of X and Powers of 10 in 2019. Um, that was, I mean, first just big news in the comic book world, but then also like really exciting as people who had sort of lost, I won't say lost interest in the X-Men, but lost kind of interest in reading X-Men. Like I remember yeah. there's, you know, uh, in years before I would like pick up stuff for, you know, between like 2010 and 2017 and just kind of go, all right, what's this about? And then I would just go, Ugh, this is too much. And like, I really hated the Avengers versus X-Men stuff and definitely, oh, really? uh, yeah, that wasn't my thing. And, um, the, uh, I didn't even bother reading the inhumans versus the X-Men. <laughs> oh, I didn't either. I, I, I was reading it sporadically. I mean, I pretty much always was checking in on them. Yeah, you know, I, it just force of habit, and there was some stuff I liked. I mean, I, at first I liked the all new X Men, which is when the original five X Men come forward in time, 
right to the present and that was fun for a while but it went on for like three years yeah it was like way they too were stuck it went on way too long and i didn't see the point to it after a while and you had multiple versions of these characters and the decimation went on too long the decimation for anyone who doesn't know is like when m when house of m happened and yeah scarlet witch took all the powers away of 90 percent of mutants not any of the mutants that we know <laughs> you know it was yeah. very convenient all the x-men pretty much got to keep their powers but that went on for years like seven yeah. years and it really kind of gutted the main metaphor of the x-men which is like you know they're a race they're representing a race and i'm like you know 198 people is a that's a party you know, that's, <laughs> that stops yeah. being a race, and so it just it, it just went on it was they're all it was interesting at first like oh how are they going to get out of this but they just kept going on and on and on it was just like oh god so there was just a lot of stuff during that era where i just it didn't grab me it didn't feel like they were pushing the concept forward and then here comes jonathan hickman in 2019 with this this reboot that wasn't a reboot because it acknowledged everything yeah that had happened which is how i like my reboots you know i love that i love continuity i love that comics have this history um and it acknowledged it all and just this paradigm shift was wild and led yeah. to so much cool stuff um, yeah um, and so, yeah, just to catch you, I mean, we're going to talk about all this, but like, just to catch you like I was reading red Hawks and pox, like definitely read those started reading the, you know, the, the spinoff books as they would come out, but then eventually that gets kind of overwhelming, you know, like, yeah. um, uh, and other there stuff was a had lot. happened. There was a lot. There and was then like 10 or 12 ongoing titles out of yeah. house of X and powers of 10. And it was, and at first I did read them all. And then after a while, I'm like, okay, I have to drop some of these. Yeah, absolutely. You just have yeah. to. And I, I definitely stopped there for a while. But then when Hickman left the book um, uh, in the capable hands of a number of other writers, like it, it definitely hasn't had a dip in quality, which a lot of people were yeah. expecting. Um, but they put out I think earlier this year or maybe late last year, they put out a, comp- a full um, omnibus, which I'm pointing to right there, of all the mm. Hickman um, X-Men proper, which so I picked that up and was like, I need to get back into this. And then I just started like plowing through these books, like from beginning, um, you know, be, mostly on my Kindle, just because I was just like, I need to just read these yeah. quickly and I don't have space for all these books. Um, but like, it is amazing to me how, and I've, I've caught up to live essentially. Um, mm-hmm. And it's amazing to me how excited I, st- I am again about monthly comics the way that I, and I was telling you before it hasn't been since um, uh, blackest night that I have been this excited about a line of books and blackest night was an event. And when that was over, yeah. it basically went right into brightest day and I felt betrayed. I was like, I just spent all this money on blackest night and now there's even more books. Like I was just, right, right. I was just like, I can't do this. Um, yeah. But this feels different because it does feel like you're following on you know, and you don't have to read every single title, but no. you kind of want to read every title, you know, because all the yeah, characters are so well that. defined. Yeah. After the most recent Hellfire Gala, I'm back to, oh, I want to read everything. I want to read every book, which it's been a couple of years since that. Like the yeah. first two years of the Hickman run, I was reading everything. I, you know, I fell off and then now I'm back to like, oh yeah, whatever is related. I need to know. I need to know what's going to happen to everybody. Yeah. It's so, and we'll, we'll get into, if you haven't read the, uh, the hellfire gala, which just, uh, as we were recording this, actually, as you're hearing this, it just came out of like a couple weeks ago. 
Um, It's it is a huge like ship. And that, of course, leads into the fall of X, which all of the um, years essentially um, after House and Powers like are you got Dawn of X, you have Reign of X, you have a third one and then you have Fall of X. X Um, of Swords. Oh, yeah. X of Swords, which was really good. Ten of Swords, whatever you want to call it. Um, And you have all those you have all those like periods of time and they all are really fascinating in their own ways. But then Fall of X seems like it is a culmination of all the storylines that they've been kind of setting up. All the bad guys have come together, coalesced, and now it's an absolute nightmare. And it was I was telling Eric before we started recording, um, I had trouble falling asleep after reading (laughs) the latest Hellfire Gala because it was such a punch in the gut. It's for everybody harrowing. who's been reading this like yeah yeah like. there's and it's been very interesting i you know, i have a lot of ex fans that follow me on social media so i'm seeing like the reactions a lot of people are into it but there are fans who feel sort of betrayed because mm-hmm. they felt you know the x-men represent marginalized communities and always yeah have. and you know since the hickman era it's like we they finally got the upper hand right they yeah. finally got their own culture their own place they got they you know they weren't subjugated for once and to take it all away a lot of people are like how can you do this of course i'm like you guys this is comic books like you know this is probably temporary and also stuff has to happen and they cannot have the upper hand forever because yeah it's an ongoing narrative and bad things happen to our heroes that's just how comics work but it was delivered in a brutal way it's the red wedding of (laughs) x-men it 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 really is was it really is like and and not just bru- like bloody like you know they, yeah. they go for the, the gore um of what happens to these mutants that we love in some cases i don't want to yeah. see dazzler get eviscerated that was hurtful <laughs> you know? god and they pull the rug out because every every year they've had a hellfire gala they've elected a new team of x-men, X-Men. and every year it's been like okay cool who are we following this year and 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 they there's literally a splash page of all the newly elected members. And then you turn the page and then it's. Uh, They're eviscerated. Yeah. Nimrod <laughs> falls Nimrod. on them and almost all well, of them die. Yes. It's, uh, and it's wild. Yeah. So it, it was really, really brutal. One of the biggest, I mean, let's talk a little bit about what this era set up and why we liked it so much. So effectively it's mutants have found a way to resurrect and there's a series of things that have happened that have led them to there are five mutants who in tandem can work together to resurrect dead mutants which is awesome and they can all existing ones too they were all that was what's a genius move of hickman's was he didn't make up new mutants to do this they're all random mutants from x-men past some important some totally not important gold ball you know he's one of these characters like who cared about him oh okay no he's a now a vital part of the five yeah, you know, um, and obviously Hope Summers was like a that was the biggest probably yeah. one for, for sure. And she's become a, a, a huge character um, in, in this run. But then you also have Proteus, which is like who need, you know, like who who thought right. Proteus was going to have anything to do. But he's like a big major character now because of that. And so, yeah, there's the five who can bring everybody back and it using the island of Krakoa, which is a living island that's been around forever, a really long time. Yeah. From giant size X-Men number one. Yeah. The literally the since adventure. That yeah. introduced the new X-Men. That's where Kirko is from. Um, and they decide um, 
various time travel shenanigans um, uh, convinces Charles Xavier, Magneto, and Apocalypse <laughs> to work together. Really, it's it's Charles, Magneto, and uh, Moira McTaggart, who we find out is a mutant who can, when she dies, she her life starts over and that entire timeline starts over again. So yep. it's basically like her life is time. For and she has all the memories, so she remembers every life. Yeah, and so initially she hates. I mean, she lives her own regular life, and then she hates mutants and wants to cure them because she hates reliving her life. It's basically like a lifelong Groundhog Day. Um, yeah, terrible. Actually, I think it's like that's literal hell in a lot of ways. Um, and then she decides she wants to help mutant kind, and she gets to this point where we need to mutants killing mutants is the problem. And, yeah. and, um, it's all just the humans are thriving because mutants are at each other's throats. What if we all work together? And so that's why you get this thing. And, and it's all this amazing stuff happens again, not through kind of magic. It's not like, yeah. and now we can do this. It's all through the science and stuff that's already been set up. So like using Krakoa's plants, uh, they can create these medicines that help humans, but you know, yeah. basically elongate their lives. And so, and so they start their own. Um, nation. They want to be, they're like, we are a sovereign nation of Krakoa. All mutants are welcome here. We will put gates on uh, everywhere that only mutants can walk through. Everyone is welcome. And, and obviously there are some humans who are just like, no, you can't do this and um, want their right. children who are mutants to not go and all this stuff. And it, it continues the metaphor. And I think a really interesting way, which is that what if all of these you know, yes, they're super powered, but they're persecuted because of their superpowers yeah. like, and have been for 60 years um mm. what if they had their own ability to govern themselves and like and for a while it's such a joyful book yes there's ad there's adversity and stuff to fight but the fact that they all live in what is essentially paradise yeah. and you know we see you know they're again like you said earlier they're not all just the x-men those are just the ones that are there right. as the army there are mutants who just kind of either look different or have kind of like, you know, minor powers, but they do have an X gene. So they are welcome. Yeah, on everyone's this allowed. Everybody's allowed on Krakoa. Most of them aren't X-Men. And what's interesting is they address in house of X that, you know, the medicines that they create, it's also leverage. Like mm -hmm. they kind of are like, cause I think that the medicines are like one cures mental illness, one extends life. And I think like the other one is like cures cancer or something like that. Like yeah. they're, they're, they're these incredible drugs and they're like, Hey, humanity, we'll give these to you yeah, for free. You will, you will leave us alone. You yeah. will recognize this because they've had nations. They had Genosha, they right. had other, and that all ended terribly because humans wouldn't let them have it. But here they have leverage finally, you know, yeah. and it led to really interesting things. And then like real world countries, North Korea and Russia were like, yeah, we don't recognize you at all. And so they right. would have to smuggle the drugs in. And that led to another fun book like Marauders. Like right. the, the whole shift created a really fun place for these characters to play in that was yeah. just felt so new, but completely acknowledged their history. And it was yeah. also a fun, the, the resurrection thing was really fun because it was, you know, meta commentary on from Jonathan Hickman really, because, you know, ever since Jean Grey, no, every X-Men has died and none of them have stayed dead except right. for Thunderbird, you know, like one. <laughs> and it just was like, okay, well, it's a feature, not a bug. Like now right. it's there. They, yes. They, you know, we are immortal, you know, like we, they are literally better than humans. They don't die, <laughs> you know, or yeah. their deaths are not permanent. 
and it's just it was just so wild and it just and, and it was it was joyful like you said it was like our favorite characters finally on top yeah you know they finally got to be where they deserve to be even though there's a tinge of sadness because really all xavier ever wanted was to have humans and mutants coexist peacefully yeah and it was kind of him finally being like you know what i've tried but you've killed my children and i'm done so we're forming this you know new country and you're gonna play by our rules <laughs> you know yeah so, yeah it was just really fun and almost immediately like there were factions of humans who were just like no this is not gonna happen and that's how you get a lot of the 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 main villains of the of the piece which the main one is orcus currently yes. which is this um kind of spacefaring organization spacefaring that sounds really really jovial they um, have a space station they have a space station where they are creating um and they have a mother mold which is creating yeah. sentinels and everything like that but as we know as we know via moira if they eventually get to nimrod status where they create a specific type of sentinel called a nimrod it is smart enough and capable enough that they are defeated every time. And so it's basically yeah. like, we need to avert this and then failing that we need to avert the next step. There's like this whole, and there's a lot of ancillary material in a lot of these books, which are just like charts and like, yeah. you know, like he loves that internal Hickman memos loves, and stuff. Yeah. Hickman loves his introduced, like the, the, the charts and the graphs and, you know, and it's usually kind of interesting, you know, mm -hmm. I, I actually enjoy those. Yeah. Orcus is sort of made up of, different um it's like the worst people in hydra the worst people in aim like all these marvel terrorist organizations like yeah. the most mutant hating people in all of those under one banner yeah modok is in there <laughs> modok is in there you know yeah. um and, and and it's really interesting um but yeah they they, they have climbed into top 10 x-men villains that which is hard because the x-men have a lot of good villains and it's very hard for new characters or new teams or whatever to crack that they just did well like, and and that's that was something they had to figure out because one of the hallmarks of the new era is that all of the villains become not villains the the, the one exception of course is Sabretooth, who just refused i'm not gonna play by your rules the the main rule being right. don't kill humans yeah. um and he was like no i'm not doing that and so they put him since they don't want to kill him uh they put him in the pit which is basically like uh, a, a deep inside Krakoa's like depths and they, and there's like, you know, hallucinations and it's, it's a terrible place as depicted yeah. in the uh, Victor LaSalle um, miniseries. Uh, it's terrible, but um, uh, so you have all these villains who are not villains anymore. Apocalypse becomes a really interesting kind of like sort of bad guy, but, but still forthright. He basically is like, yay, we did it. You finally came to my point yes. of view he's very proud of yeah. all of them. Like these former enemies of his, he's like, this is what I always wanted for us to be able to do this, but he's still yeah. an ancient brutal being. Yeah. Like, like when he introduced the, the, oh, what's it called? The crucible, which was like really brutal early on. Yeah. So we have to explain now, the crucible. Okay. We so do. That's yeah. the, Cause the, a so, bunch of mutants lost their powers. We'd mentioned it right. earlier in the house of yeah. M series, a bunch of mutants lost their powers and became human and some most of them got it back but some of them didn't as i recall and so for them to get reborn as mutants again as all mutants get to do on Krokoa, they have to die so they do it in this like gladiatorial combat where they yeah. know that they're sacrificing their lives in this brutal way like 
and it's part of like this ritual and it's sort of gross but xavier and magneto are like okay we want to keep apocalypse happy so we'll let him have this this brutal ritual but it's really fascinating and it becomes like like people like cheer and everything like that and it becomes like because they're 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 unpowered people fighting against apocalypse they are going to die (laughs) they know they're going to die but it's like yeah come face your death bravely and you'll be reborn as a mutant once again and it's like that's just shoot him in the head or something like just like this is mean you know but it's they they give it to him they let apocalypse have this um because they want him on their on their side it's and it's through apocalypse that we we learn the kind of history of kirkoa where it was once a much larger island called okara and yes. then it split into two. There's a lot of ancient stuff, which we learn about in, in um, Ten of Swords and everything like that. Um, but the other side of it, like all of the apocalypse style mutants are on Araco, which is the other um, island, which had been trapped basically for in Amenth, which is the hell dimension for a really long time. They come out. They basically are like, we don't really like, we don't want to be on Earth, and so that's when the first Hellfire uh, Hellfire Gala happened, where they terraform Mars and move everybody from Araco to Mars, right. rename the planet Araco, oh and God, then they're just yeah. like, this is where this happens. And announce now. it to humanity, like, by the way, we have a planet, and people on humans are like, justifiably, like, what are you doing? Yeah, like, and they're like, but nobody owns this, so we can do whatever we want. Yeah, and then they crazy. they say. Well, they put a space station on it and they're like, okay, so yeah. everybody from other planets and galaxies, you come here. So we are the capital of the solar system. And it's just like, that is when they are really like getting too big for their britches kind of thing. Yeah. Um, which is, which, you know, they, they flew too close to the sun. They're being Icarus. They're being a little bit too yeah. brash about the whole thing. Um, which again, it's like, you can't have something like that happen and then not have a fall afterwards. You have um, to. But that leads to really interesting stuff like Storm and Magneto and a few other characters go to Araco to be the um, kind of envoy for Earth. But then they basically are just like, well, if we're on Araco, we are of Araco. And so they give up their re- uh, resurrection rights because that's not the way of the Iraqi. Um, we, they would never come back to life because they're a warring, like to die in battle is is a is a great honor. And so you wouldn't want to undo that by being resurrected. They have a different culture ultimately. Yeah. I mean, the, the culture stuff is really an interesting thing that Hickman did because like he gave them their own written language, Mm -hmm. you know, he kind of told them to like, you know, it's, it's sort of the unspoken thing in this run that like they shed human morality in, in certain ways because like Scott and Gene and Logan are pretty much in a throuple now. Like they resolve that long-standing triangle by just like they all live on the moon at at Scott Summer's house with adjoining bedroom. Like it's just they're all together, and it's just like all right. And the fact that Marvel let him do that, like, yeah, is wild. That Marvel's like, sure, okay. Like, I mean, they don't address it directly, but it's no. it's pretty right there. Like you know, and he's never denied it. Hickman has never denied that's what's going on. No. No, no, no. And absolutely. And part of the, like the, the great thing, I, I think we both listened to this interview that um, Hickman did on the Cerebro podcast, but he was basically like, I'm not doing this, this like um, jealousy fighting over people anymore. Either there, everybody has is completely monogamous and they never break up or everyone is just 
banging each other all the time. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> and, they get to do whatever they want. And they let him go with option two, and I can't believe it. <laughs> I know. You know. It's it's amazing that they did that. Because Disney um, owns this company. <laughs> yeah. That we really should say that there's a lot of like really heavy and dark stuff in this, and you have to remember that Disney owns this company and that these are yeah. bankable characters. <laughs> that they, yeah. they have a I lot just of think because it's the too. comics, they just are like, whatever. You know, yeah. fifty thousand people buy these comics every month. You know what they don't. Yeah, if it was true. the movies or TV, they might look at it differently. But with yeah. the, the comics, they just let it go. The one exception, it seems, and who knows if they have like an open relationship, but like the committed married couple, weirdly enough, are Gambit and Rogue. Like, yeah, they are together, and that's it, and they just love each other, and it's amazing. Yep. It's, it's one of my favorites in the in this run. Is just like how and also Emma Frost doesn't want anything to do with this, like. They've kind of implied that, like, hey, you can be part of this throuple. We can make it a foursome. It's just like, no. Yeah. Like, I don't want to share Scott. <laughs> exactly. That's her thing, which is like, she's that's a like, very no. Emma thing to do. Right. I mean, she's um, been one of the standout characters of this whole thing. 100%. Let's get into that. I mean, we could talk about, let's talk about our favorite, like, titles that have come out since then. But I also want to talk about, like, who are who are the standout characters? And I definitely think Emma is one. And actually, Scott and Jean are, like, they really have yeah. come to the fore. Like, they've become really good characters. Um, clearly, this, this group of writers know how to write Cyclops. And so many writers kind of not. after... I don't even know who the last one to actually get him right was, but so, so long I said, certainly the movies just didn't do Cyclops justice. And no, that's kind he of was, what most people think Cyclops yeah. is, is this whiny boy scout, which is not what he is. Well, Cyclops, the damage to Cyclops as a character goes way back. <laughs> I mean, if we want to talk about that, like Cyclops, sure. the, the, the damage goes back to the mid eighties because Cyclops got to, you know, after Jean Grey Phoenix died Chris Claremont was like, all right, I'm going to give Cyclops a happy ending. He's going to meet this woman who looks exactly like his ex-wife or his ex-girlfriend, and they're going to marry and have a family. And then he leaves his wife and newborn child for his ex-girlfriend, who's recently returned from the dead. And that is just a character thing that they could never really, like, fit. It was just like, you just made Cyclops a dick. Yeah. You know, like, it, was, it was, I mean, I know there's more to it and there's, you know, he thought she was dead or something like that, but it was just like, he pretty quickly forgot that he was married, you know? Yeah. And that led to a whole thing. And I don't know that Cyclops has ever really recovered from that. And then in the 2000s, Grant Morrison was like, okay, he's finally with Gene. They get married and he has a psychic affair with Emma Frost. Yeah. So he's kind of like been awful, an awful husband twice. And that sort of marred the character for a long time. You know, even though he's a dedicated and great leader and all of those things it's like yeah but you were really shitty yeah you know um but this is the best they they yeah this this run kind of fixed them yeah and there's a there's a few times in in this run or in this era where like um cyclops and and steve rogers will like have little conversations and they seem like obviously cyclops is more damaged and also is a philanderer <laughs> like we can just go ahead and yeah. say yeah. um but in a lot of other ways like they're both really both he and steve rogers are good like uh stri- st- uh strategizers what's the word strategians yes, yes. um strategists strategists thank you and um and great leaders and and are both like true believers in their w- respective causes and and yes. I, I see a lot of like similarities between the two and i feel like when the MCU finally fully embraces the X-Men characters, which they're taking their sweet time with. Um, mm-hmm. I have you my need theories to, about that. Yeah, I'm sure. Um, 
you need to have a character. You need to make Cyclops like the Steve Rogers. And yes, he's, he's not as cool as some of the other characters, but he's still good. And he's not just a whiny wimp who just is his whole character. Like in the movies is, is that he loves Jean and he hates, like hates Wolverine. And it's just like, this sucks. I don't like this. This Yeah. and And I really like the first two movies a lot, but like he got done dirty. Absolutely. Absolutely. Of all the, the first characters. one. Yeah. In the first one, he gets to do some stuff. But in the second one, which is the better movie, sadly, is he's really just pushed to the sidelines. Yeah. And let's not even it's talk a- about the third one where he's just killed off like he's a red shirt on Star Trek. It's awful. Yeah. It's terrible. Um, but that was that was how little of import he had in those movies is because yeah. they just killed he's him the off. field leader. He is the, yeah. the leader of the team on in battle. Yeah. You know, and that's his whole role. So, um, yeah, I'm a huge fan of Cyclops and I, I have been for a long time, even with all his like, what are you doing, buddy? And like, yeah, and, yeah, he's had he's had some character, you know, especially in like, what do they call it? The uh, the lost decade. There was a lot of weird stuff with Cyclops where he was just like a nightmare character. But um, yeah, in my least favorite costume, the one with the X visor. <laughs> is that from- oh when he was like when he decided to be like very magneto-esque and yeah like got really militant yes militant that was, militant cyclops doesn't quite work for me no i didn't he was a he was a real jerk during that like yeah i've always been more of a cyclops guy than a wolverine guy but w- when that divide happened because it was like cyclops is more militant and wolverine was like hey maybe we shouldn't kill these kids i was on team wolverine during that all of that for sure of course like, i was like i'm on you know so yeah, that wasn't a great, he's, it's, it's, it's much better now. It's so much better. Um, so yeah, uh, Gene and Scott are excellent. Um, Emma's wonderful. I think magic has really stepped up. Like, yeah. I mean, she's always been a p- pretty popular character, um, since her kind of re- rebirth as it were a few years ago, but, um, she's so cool <laughs> in this run of books. She's so cool and like important, um, beast well beast has kind of become awful but fascinating yeah like he's he's we've always known that there was a dark side to beast but they're really like going there with this yeah because he's a big part of x-force which is the like we do the things that nobody wants to talk about kind of we're the black ops we're the one they have him do some pretty they're the cia of krakoa um yes yeah so he's he's like the he's unlikable. He's the yeah, he's the um the big brain behind everything basically. He's the one strategizing yeah. all this stuff and he's like we need to do this for the good of the the country, the the island and the people and all this stuff. But it's it's he does some stuff that leads to some very bad outcomes. Um yeah. and even the other members of X-Force don't like him. So X-Force the the like field ops for X-Force initially are Wolverine, Domino and um Kid Omega. Quentin Quire, who was a really cool character, and then they killed him off kind of unceremoniously. Um, and but now it's uh so it's still Wolverine Domino, obviously. And then you brought then they brought in Omega Red, which I thought was really interesting. They kind of um, you know, he was has been a bad guy forever and is a serial mm-hmm. killer who then became like a monster, you know what I mean? Right. Um and so he, Yeah. The serial um, but, killer thing was is one of the controversial things about the, this era is that pretty much all mutants are forgiven for their crimes. Right. If they accepted citizenship on Krakoa and naturally humans are like, uh, we don't care. Like they murdered yeah. people. 
And they're like, no, they yeah. have immunity here. And it's like, I don't know if I'm for that. <laughs> but Omega Red was one of them. Yeah. And and he took a really long time to come around because he was sort of he had teamed up with Dracula. There was a whole weird thing in the Wolverine <laughs> books, but yeah. um and and he was the kind of the driving force of X lives and X deaths of Wolverine, which was a, a pretty weird lopsided kind of follow up to Inferno, which was the big like first big revelation book um, of this era. But um, so but Omega Red comes on the team and then Deadpool's like, hey, guys, why can't I be on the team? And eventually they let Deadpool on, which I thought was really funny. Um, but yeah. then you the other on the other side of it, you, you have Sage who is um, not a character I was very familiar with at all. Um, it's a Claremont character that he really yeah. liked, but nobody else usually writes. But I, I like her a lot. She's she's sort of the one who kind of pays attention to all the um, the intel coming in and reports to everybody and like make sure everybody's where they need to be and everything like that. I really like her. And then you also have Jean for a while was like another member of like the brain trust. Yeah. And now um, and then Forge as well. And Forge is super cool. Um, this yes. era of forge does a lot of like shady stuff for everybody because he mm-hmm. can build whatever. And I think that's really fun. Um, everybody just comes to the fore. And then I, we obviously need to say that like, you know, Kitty, um, led a book. She was the Marauders were the, the kind of yeah. pirates who would go around because Kitty, for whatever reason, couldn't go through the, the gates. Um, yeah. and so she would lead a team of like pirates with like Bishop and Pyro and Iceman, and they would go and free, they would d- ostensibly deliver the medicine to the, to the countries, but then they would free any of the mutants who were being kept from going through the gates. And it was like, right. ah, that was really cool. That um, was a real, that was my favorite spinoff book was Marauder. That was mine too. Yeah. Um, I also really liked Excalibur, which is sort of, uh, that was big leading up to, and then going past, um, 10 of swords, um, but now is sort of not as in, not as important. I know there's this no. uh, there's a Captain Britain kind of like miniseries, which I've not read yet. Um, but all that stuff, if you're into that kind of like high fantasy stuff, that was that was a big part of um, that's always been a weird fit for me with X-Men. Like, I know it's there that they sometimes like delve into this magic stuff. Yeah, I, I sometimes I like it and sometimes I don't. But um yeah. yeah, Excalibur was interesting. I did like that Hickman made it a point that when they did this era, they didn't create new names for any of these teams. It was like, I want classic team names that have history. Yeah. So X-Force, Excalibur, these were all the initial spinoff books of yeah. X-Men back in the 80s and 90s. And like, they all are, were reinvented. I mean, they're very different from what they were, but like, I liked, again, I like that he acknowledges the history always. You know, that's why in this era, they wear whatever costume they want. That's a a staple of this era is that sometimes Cyclops will be wearing his 90s, you know, Jim Lee costume. Sometimes we'll be waiting, wearing another one. They, you know, it's just like we are acknowledging that these people have had long histories Mm -hmm. and that their closets have a lot of outfits. (laughs) Yeah. You know, like why, you know, like they could pick whatever they want. Yeah. And Jean, I think especially like she started out definitely wearing her Marvel girl, like uh, uh, inspired stuff. But then after a while she was just wearing whatever. And, it, and that was really fun. Um, oh, what was I just about to say? Do, 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 do. Oh, the new mutants. Interestingly enough, it's all the same characters from new mutants. They're still basically wearing their same or like it's <laughs> yellow and black now. Yeah. Um, and then they go off into space. Like I didn't really, I didn't stick with the new mutants book. But. No, I didn't either, which is unfortunate because I like that grouping of characters. Yeah, they're fun. But, but it, once you, again, once it gets too much into Shi'ar stuff, they lose me a little. 
really be like into space. the space opera part of it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, so that that's a whole thing. I do think it's weird that they always keep going back to like their school uniforms. <laughs> like none of the other ex people like keep going back to like, they're like, yeah, we're done with, we graduated. <laughs> yeah. It's like also, yeah, exactly. You're done. You haven't been, you became X force and then you were other yeah. stuff for a while. Like, yeah, yeah. but there's definitely fun. And sunspot goes to uh, Mars and like does stuff with X-Men red, which is really fun. Um, but we definitely need to talk about, I think the character with the most interesting kind of history in this new era, who now is so important, which is Mr. Sinister. Um, oh yeah. Yeah. He was so initially they Mr. Sinister is not a mutant uh, famously Nathaniel Essex yeah. was a Victorian era geneticist kind of a contemporary of um, Darwin, Darwin and all this stuff. Yeah. And he would do horrible experiments. And eventually once he found the mutant gene wanted to harness the mutant gene and make it, you know, imp, you know, uh, he was like, this is the way for humanity to be unstoppable effectively. And there's all this stuff like early on, apocalypse basically turned him into this this creature who could like change shape and like was uh had regrowth powers or regenerative powers and all this stuff it's really interesting this is all 90s stuff this is all from the adventures of cyclops and phoenix like miniseries where we got the backstory of sinister and because we didn't know for a long time he was a character around for like 10 years and we're like oh he's a really old geneticist right that is interested in the summer's line for whatever reason we didn't know his backstory until they created all this stuff like he knew Darwin and Apocalypse. They tied him in together. They were originally not tied in together at all. Mm-hmm. But it makes sense. It's totally a retcon that was, yeah, that I understand that. Yeah. And so now he's just like this nutcase who clones himself a million times and like all this. But when they bring him in initially, they need him because he has a library of the genetic material for all the mutants yep. um, that he's been collecting surreptitiously for years. And they need that for the the cloning or, you know, the, the resurrection. The resurrection. Yeah. So they give him a seat at the table. The quiet council is basically like the ruling body of Krakoa. And they know that they are playing with fire here. And they're like, yeah. and he has these kind of machinations. And there for a while, he leads the Hellions, which are like the 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 mutants that they they're, they haven't done anything bad enough to be put in the pit, but they're still not the best. Like, and one of them is Havoc. Mm-hmm. And so basically he tasks Psylocke with um, leading this team of real weirdos. And Hellion's book is really fun. Mm-hmm. Um, but you just kind of go, oh, Sinister, he's a real, he's a real POS. And, uh, um, but he's, he's kind of playful and fun in his kind of evil ways. But then as the, especially once Immortal X-Men started, you find out that he is, had some stuff go on for a really long time. He's been kind of working behind the scenes. And then of course leads into sins of sinister, where you find out that he has cloned Moira McTaggart and can like create save. He's save scumming essentially mm-hmm. uh, the, the timeline. So he's like, ah, oh, well let's kill her so we can start this one over again. Um, he's, he has different clones of her from different like period, you know, like this one's like two months older than this one. So like he can create all these different right. save points. Um, he, uh, inf- he genetically infiltrated all the mutants and like made them him. And so there's this whole thing that's going on once that issue or that, uh, event ended and that timeline was reset, everybody knew what happened. They threw sinister in the pit, but he's like, no, 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 there's somebody worse than me. And that person who is worse than him is like his, basically the, the most 
clone version of him, which is this Dr. Stasis character who we find out was leading Orcus the whole time. Um, I hate that character so much and I can't wait for him to die. So awful. Yeah. And I cannot wait for him to die. Like I, after the hellfire gala, I was just in revenge mode. Like I cannot wait for the X-Men to kill these assholes. Like I just, I, they need to die. Yeah. You know? And yeah. Like he's worse. He's the worst aspects of sinister, you know? Yeah. There's nothing playful about him. There's also nothing self-reflective about him. No, because Sinister was sort of playful and, mm-hmm. you know, flamboyant and it's kind of fun sometimes in a sick way. He's not. He's like the worst, mm-hmm. you know, and he has and, and we should mention like he has instead of the little red diamond he, on his head, which is Sinister's always had for no, we don't know why. And it's like, oh, because you have three other clones and they each have like a playing card symbol. And he has like the ace of clubs or something right on his. Yeah, head. Like, he's that's got the, the space, he's. He's the club, right? And then the spade one is that um, Orbis Stellaris guy who was like out right. in deep space. He's like really old. And then the one with the heart was actually uh, it's Mother Righteous, who is the clone of um, right Nathaniel Essex's wife. wife. Yeah. Nathaniel Essex's wife. Yeah, they've done um, a lot of cool stuff with him, but they've made Doctor Stasis yeah. the most hateful villain ever. There's a really great issue of Immortal X-Men, which is effect- basically each each issue of Immortal X-Men um, has the kind of narrator character be one of the members of the Quiet Council, which I think is really cool. But one of them is about, I think, um, eventually Destiny comes back and becomes a member of the, the Quiet Council. There's a whole thing with that. Uh, yeah. We don't have time to get into all the no. Destiny stuff. Um, no. But... Um, where her name is Irene Adler. Her name's been Irene Adler for a really long time. And they, they finally put a pin on in it. They've kind of always alluded to the fact that mystique was maybe Sherlock Holmes. And then they just, they are officially like, no mystique was Sherlock Holmes. <laughs> and she, yeah. and, she and Irene destiny, cause they're married. They've been a, a loving couple for hundreds of years uh-huh. through all of their yeah. murdering and stuff. Right. Um, and then they meet the original Nathaniel Essex and all this stuff. And I was like, that is a really cool, like kind right of on. way to still bring in Sinister because they have to set up the fact that Sinister is evil and like behind yeah. everything. Uh, his name's Sinister. It's not like he wouldn't think. He was yeah, evil. exactly. Like we let someone named Sinister into our government. What do you think was going to happen? Yeah. I have and to that- say one thing about the mystique thing that I think they're about to do. And maybe I'm wrong, but they, they've announced that they're going to, there's a mini series that's going to reveal the, the truth about mystique and nightcrawler's relationship the real real truth because supposedly you know mystique is his mother right you know first in the 80s they teased it for like 10 years what is the connection between mystique and nightcrawler then it's like well i was your birth i'm your birth mother that was not the original intent i don't know if you know that but like mystique was supposed to be nightcrawler's father because she is a shapeshifter she can literally become whatever sex she wants uh, Jim Shooter, who was the editor in chief at Marvel at the time and notoriously homophobic, was like, "No way!" Like, mm-hmm. and did not let Chris Claremont do that. So after Chris Claremont let, left, then they revealed, "Oh, she's the mother." I think they're retconning that. I think that they're going to bring back the original Chris Claremont intention that Mystique, when at some point when she was maybe when she was Sherlock Holmes, I don't know, you know, <laughs> Nightcrawler's is Nightcrawler's dad which i'm like that would be wild <laughs> well there is a there is a character in i think it's one of the sins of sinister i read so many issues recently to kind of be all caught up for this this podcast but um where uh 
Nightcrawler, his spark, his like life force has been taken out and he's been mutated further into this giant monster. Basically, it's a it's a whole weird thing. But like somebody has made a deal with Mother Righteous in order to save him. And she says she is his mother, but she's not Mystique. So I am very curious, like who that lady is and yeah. what that means. And I think you might be right, because like Mystique obviously has some history with Nightcrawler, but it's not. Why would you believe Mystique ever? Do you know what I mean? Right. Like, yeah. Like, I mean, that <laughs> leaves a big thing of like Azazel and what he, how he yeah. factors into all this. And Azazel but... is uh, going to be in Dark X-Men, which is one of the new titles coming out. Yes. So, yeah, I'm very interested. But I, my, my gut tells me they're going with that. Like, oh, we can do this now. Times have changed enough that we can do Chris Claremont's original intentions for Absolutely. Nightcrawler and Mystique. Why wouldn't like, they do no that? One, I mean, they just, they wouldn't have, back in the day, there, there was no way they would have. Well, yeah, definitely there. back in the day. Like, I like the but fact, like, I mean, we could, like, the X-Men has always been a, um, whether intentional or not, is is a metaphor for um, marginalized communities and everything like that. And you can see it as race, but, like, more recently it has definitely kind of been um, the, the queer community, like LGBTQ. Oh, yeah. I mean, there's it, no bigger, as a queer X-Men fan, let me tell you, like, the, the, that's the biggest fandom I think for X-Men, I mean, in terms of the comics anyway, maybe not sure. in terms of the cartoons and the movies and all that's pretty mainstream, but like in terms of the comics, like we are a loyal fan base to that, you know, to that comic book, because I think all of us for years saw like, even as a kid, I, I recognized what it was, you know, yeah. it was not lost on me what this metaphor was because it wasn't lost on Chris Claremont, who was a straight man, but clearly was aware of what was going on with queer people and was and was writing it into it into that book it's right there you know all the stuff about like oh should they teach our kids and blah 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 it was just it's been there since the 80s it wasn't mm -hmm. really there in the 60s very much stanley liked to take credit for like oh i wanted sure. to you know it was, it was like martin luther king and 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 malcolm x i'm like you weren't thinking about that like no. you, like that that's in 1963 Chris, like, absolutely not you were not thinking about absolutely that. was not thinking about that i do think and and this is something that i've gleaned from you know the cerebro podcast that people have talked on there is like i think that they he and jack kirby as jewish americans did pick up on the idea of like you know we're a, a, a marginalized group who look like everybody else and we live in this house and you know that there was a, a a jewish metaphor more than anything else but mm -hmm. definitely not on the level that he claims that's more chris claremont playing with that stuff from the 70s on yeah which he could do because he was the, the only one writing it for <laughs> such the a long only time. one writing it for 16 years it is the yeah. greatest run of any creator on any book no one will ever talk about it because no one stays on a book more than three years now like yeah nobody's committed to an ip <laughs> like that you know what yeah. I mean? And you can understand why people would rather do their own creator thing and and not, you know, work on something for 16 years that they don't own. But Chris yeah. Claremont was just like committed to that and really told a story over, you know, a decade and a half. It's 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 wild. And I mean, it took some crazy, you know, diversions where they're all pretending to be dead and living in Australia. But like, um, yeah, it, it, you really felt like those characters had a a definite like beginning middle and not end because he didn't really get to end it but you can read the claremont run and it kind of does come to an end to a mm -hmm. certain extent like you could read that whole thing and it's like yeah that's kind of one story mm -hmm. you know well because it's, it's only after most... he leaves or, or kind of 
pretty much like that they they start doing like well let's do all this other all these all the weird characters and by weird i mean like not not their um abilities or anything like that but like the weird complex kind of like cable shows up yeah not because of claremont um and deadpool like all these characters who are like the kind of edge lordy characters a lot i mean i love cable yes. now i think cable's excellent um, yeah, now now i love him in the current run when he was a kid and then because that was something that happened years before but then he starts out as a kid lives with the summers family realizes well, okay well i have to you know go do the thing that is in my timeline which is fighting this future yeah. war goes into the future and then comes back as an old man again and it's just like that's that's the most like wild timeliney crap i've ever seen i yeah, love it i i think that almost every iconic x-man is someone that claremont has touched in some way mm-hmm. even the ones that are modern like i i you know emma didn't join until the this you know until the 2000s but right. she's a claremont character um the, almost all of them with a couple exceptions like bishop and but I like the characters that are truly when people say who are the, the greatest X-Men top 20 X-Men, they're almost all Claremont characters mm-hmm. or that he had a hand in developing. If he didn't create them, he right. created their personalities and developed them. Like he didn't create storm technically, but yeah, technically really Lynn did. created storm, but yeah. Yeah. But like he gave all of these characters, their personalities, you know? Right. And exactly. Yeah. It's, it's been very hard. It's I, I, I always equate superhero teams with like like pop or rock artists that have had a lot of hits like when you go to their concerts there comes a point where like i don't need to hear any of your new stuff like you have enough song like the x-men sort of have enough members at this point that are iconic that it's very hard for new characters to break into that like iconic status of like i need to they it's not the x-men without blank you know what i mean it's tough because claremont did so many of them like 20 at least (laughs) Like 20, and so they came to a point where it's very tough for new characters to crack into that. Um, some yeah. have. Certainly some have. And there, I mean, there was a lot of them that are still carrying over who were like Grant Morrison additions and things yes. of that nature. Um, and Bishop, you know, Bishop stuck around. He was a cool enough character, and now he's a pretty main character. Um, yeah. Cable's another example, even though technically he started during the, the end of the Claremont run. It was still... Yes, yes. But he wasn't a creation of Claremont's. He wasn't a creation of Claremont's. Unless but, you count... Nathan Summers as a Nathan Summers is the baby version of Cable right. is a creator. That's true. Months. Yeah. Um, oh, that's a oh boy. I love I love picking apart the timeline of like all these weird. <laughs> yeah, the so Summers family tree is its own podcast. Right. Uh, <laughs> it really is. It ought to. I mean, yeah. that should just be its own podcast. Um, but one of the best things about this this run, we've sort of kind of glassed over because there's been so much there's been so much like we can't do it justice in an hour but um is that all of the like yes there's the main like 20 characters who are always going to be the most important characters and the most wanted to see characters but a bunch of the other ones too are in books like there are characters that Mm -hmm. i'm like wait who's this person it was from an era that i didn't read Mm -hmm. um you know like um uh one of the ones that i i ended up really liking was um X factor, which was kind of like the, the, there's a backup with the five trying to resurrect people. They need confirmation that some of these people have died because they can't mm-hmm. have just multiple clones of them walking around. And so there's an investigative unit of people, so of, of people who have specific skills, be they mental or observational or whatever, who are able to ascertain, like solve these mysteries. And it didn't last super, super long, which was kind of a bummer, no. but, um, but like there were characters in there that I'm like, that was definitely the one I'm like, I don't know 
most of these characters. Like I knew North star and, um, Aurora. Um, and, uh, who else was in there was, um, one of the other summers. What's her name? Rachel Summers was in there. Rachel, yeah, Rachel, who's been Phoenix for a while, and yeah, other name, yeah, Prestige but, for a second. But like, I had never heard of like Dakin, Dakin, who was uh, Wolverine Wolverine's son. son. I did not know who that was. That was from an era <laughs> yeah. I have not read. Yeah. So, um, but now I like him. <laughs> now I think he's cool. Uh, yeah. I like the fact that like all the Wolverines have their own, uh, and the fact that there are two Laura Kinneys out there, one who was stuck in the vault which is like on a different time streams. And now she's like hundreds and hundreds of years old, which is basically doing the old man Logan thing, except with yes. Laura, which I think is really cool. Um, and then you have like sync was a character that uh, I only knew a little bit. He's um, from generation X. And by that, yeah. we mean the comic, not people my right. age, <laughs> but like Monet has stuck around from generation X, but not that many other yeah and sink no. i feel like but they haven't used skin they haven't <laughs> used oh, chamber showed up in new mutants a little bit um i'm trying to think of some of the other gen x characters that like mondo well, i think they mentioned him once hey, uh god what was her name uh you got sam guthrie's sister um i forget but oh yeah, she's husk just husk thank you yeah husk the Sam Guthrie sister. There's a lot of Guthries. There's almost as many Guthries as there are Summers. <laughs> there's yes, so there's many. A Guthries. lot of Guthries. Yeah. Uh, the 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 long lineage of the Guthrie clan, and they're all just these these goobers from like, Alabama, from Kentucky or something. Yeah. Oh, Kentucky. Yeah. Um. Uh. What the hell was I just talking about? Oh, using all these characters, like the fact that so many of them have come to the forefront. And, and they're on teams with people who are more like, it's not like, here's all your A-listers. It's like, here's a few of the A-listers on this team yes. and a bunch of other ones that become, if not A-listers, like solid supporting cast. The fact that like um, Pyro became a really interesting character on Marauders, mm -hmm. a, a character yeah. that I always thought was kind of boring. Or the fact that Blob uh, is the bartender at the bar on Krakoa. He doesn't, he's not on any team. He's just the bartender. No, and they, he's just the bartender. It's perfect because nobody really liked him before. It was just like, what do we do with this guy? Yeah. You know, it's, you know, and some humans are allowed. Like if you're married to a human, they get to, you know, yeah. you get diplomatic immunity, which, you know, kingpin, we, you know, that's a whole thing. But like the, the kingpins. <laughs> that was weird. Can we agree on that? Yes. Like yeah, it was weird. Yeah. yeah, it was weird. But it, I like it in the sense that it reminds you like they're part of the greater Marvel universe that all yes. this stuff in yes. other you know, now Iron Man is a really important, and it would be because for many, many years, X Men was always felt like it was its own franchise yeah. that was tangential to everything that was happening in Marvel. And you know, well, to it, the point. It, it, sorry to interrupt you, but to the point where I wrote a whole piece maybe five, six years ago, before all the the Disney buying Fox stuff, where I was like, the X Men should not be in the MCU because they don't make sense in the MCU. And this book is the book, or these these series of books, where I'm like, you know what? They, they could cross over, and I, I kind of get it a little more. Well, I had trouble with it as a kid in the sense I was reading these comics. I think it was my brother who kind of like said it to me in, in a way that made it make sense because I was like, why does the world at large hate mutants? Right. And it's super yes. racist against them, and they are completely fine with the Fantastic Four and the Avengers and hail them as heroes when they all have powers. And, and my brother said to me, he was like, well, look at the real world. And this is, this is the 80s here we're talking. And he's like, 
these heavy metal band people can put on makeup and wear it, but America's okay with them because they're heterosexual. They know they're heterosexual. So it doesn't matter how much makeup and how they're practically in drag and all of this stuff. It's fine because we know that they're like us, you know, in quotes, mm. prejudice isn't logical. Racism right. and prejudice doesn't, isn't logical. So he's like, so it doesn't really matter that they, they know that they're human. So it's okay you know, that they, that they have powers or that they basically are in mutant drag, so to speak. You know what I mean? Like, because we know that they're one of us, so it's fine. Mm. And it, like, yeah, it isn't logical, but, but prejudice isn't, you know, it comes from a place of illogic. So that's kind of how it works for me. But what mm. doesn't work for me and has never worked for me is how did the regular, how does the average Marvel citizen know that Spider-Man is not a mutant? His, his identity is not, public. why is he not called a mutant menace? How do they know? They weren't right. there in the lab with Peter Parker when he was in high school and he got bit. Like they have, it, that, that's a, he has a secret identity. So how they would even know that has never really made sense. Right. The Avengers, it's different. They're kind of public. Everybody knows Steve Rogers' origins. Everybody knows Iron Man's right. a guy in a suit. Thor's a god, whatever. But yeah. I mean, they've dealt with it a little bit in Avengers because they've had a, Pietro and Wanda on the team and they've faced mm -hmm. backlash for that in some comics. Like you have these mutants on here. You know, blah, blah, blah. But they've never unsuccessfully tied the two worlds as well as they have right now. Like, no. I really feel like they, they now they finally have. And maybe the movies will, you know, the, will eventually take a cue from that. I mean, it, you know, if we want to segue into, like, the movies of everything or, like, the MCU yeah. of it all. Which we need to. I mean, like. Uh, that's about I to feel like at some point. Yeah, it has to. And I feel like. They should. Yes, there are great stories with the Claremont thing, but I've like I've heard arguments that like, well, you have to you have to quote unquote start with the original five and Xavier and all that stuff, no. and I think you absolutely should not because no, I don't think that you is have such. To. I mean, they they could and it could work, but they don't have to. Right. I I think using the Hickman era and just especially if it's going to take place after Secret Wars, which Hickman wrote by the way, yeah. um, the new one, um. You could just, you know, the world kind of implodes on itself or whatever, and the mutants have been around a long time, but now they're coming forward more. They've always been, you know, you could have the whole thing where, like, they were on the run or whatever. They were sort of persecuted, and maybe the original five were doing stuff, but this is like, now we are coming forward. Yeah, and, and it would might be a huge swing, but also you have to take into account that the, the audience will have seen all these X-Men movies. Um, well. I think just because they're not in continuity doesn't mean that they don't didn't exist, well, I which think I think they're about to be in continuity because I oh, think yeah, that Deadpool, they're, yeah. I mean, Deadpool is, I mean, not only do we know that Wolverine's in it, Hugh Jackman, Wolverine, but like, I mean, pretty credible reports are coming out that most of the other original Fox X-Men are in it. And if that's the case, then I think what we're going to get, I mean, this is me being speculative, but my speculation is often right when this, with this stuff. <laughs> um, is that I, I I think Avengers Secret Wars is going to be Avengers X Men Secret Wars. I think that that's their big bombshell that they're going to that that's not the true title. That we're going to get something is going to happen that, that is we're going to give us a, all these merged like a battle world, which they did in the comics, right? A bunch of you know the the Fox a version of the Fox X Men universe with a version of the MCU mashed up together that will have its own X Men that will be the actors that we know, but it will be in this new weird battle world timeline that they're going to create. That's what I think. And it's going to be the swan song of those. I think it's going to be the swan song of everything, frankly. I yeah, think I that think so the too. result, I think the result of secret wars, I mean, by that point, the, by the point it finally comes out, especially with the strikes and everything, 
we're going to be approaching the 20th anniversary of the MCU. And wow. it will have gotten, yeah. yes, it will have gotten pretty long in tooth. And if you really want to go even back further, X-Men will be approaching 30 at that point. Right. So mm-hmm. my feeling is that at the end of Secret Wars, we're going to say goodbye to the classic X-Men, the classic MCU, and we're going to get a new, like it's like an ultimate version with mutants on it, but it'll be new actors, probably a recast Iron Man and everybody else too, by the way. Like we're going to get a new version where the X-Men, the Avengers, they're all going to be starting from the same point in the same new universe. And we're not going to have to worry about all of that, you know, but I do think we're seeing the classic X-Men one more time or maybe two more times. And actually that's a really good point because there are, you know, uh, whenever that was last year, I guess at Comic-Con when Kevin Feige showed all of the, like, here's the timeline and all this stuff. And there were only a few things like there was the fantastic Mm -hmm. four movie, but then there was like the King dynasty and, and secret wars, but there was all those others like empty things. I think it's, I think to your point, like, and obviously Deadpool is supposed to come out next year. Hopefully it still will. Um, I think a lot of those could be X-Men movies. Like, and so they're going to do some X-Men stories with the existing cast and maybe introduce some new characters or something like that. But yeah, like to, to do these, these kind of wrap up movies. And and I think you're absolutely right. I think secret wars is going to be kind of like the zoop, like we're done with this this version of this universe or with these versions of these characters at least yeah and i think there will be characters who remember i don't think they're going to be like this never happened it's somebody will, you know they'll they'll start a new universe that will be a fresh like this is what marvel did with the ultimates you know absolutely yeah just and that worked for a long time before it got tired you know like that was a big thing in the early 2000s and i think that that's what they're gonna do like they're gonna have to do something like that and but i i kevin feige remember his first I think role in any kind of producing capacity on a Marvel, anything was the first X-Men. He has a soft spot for those yeah. actors and and that version of things. And I think he wants to give them a proper goodbye, you know, and I, I think they're going to be in the, the, the animated series costumes or something like it. Like, I think, he's, I think he's so very much going to be, I mean, just look at Wolverine. I think we're going to get like, he knows what fans have wanted. Yeah. And, and di- and what Fox didn't deliver on. And he's gonna, I think, finally give fans, you know, that a version of the X Men. They could have Krakoa on there. Like, if you do Battle World, and it's just this new reality that's sort of a mishmash of both, you know, that has its own history, like the like the Secret Wars comics, which Hickman wrote. They could have a Krakoa on there. Like the mutants could all live, you know, mm-hmm. in this reality. Like they can kind of do whatever they want, you know. Um, yeah. And that really I, is I the beauty gonna, of yeah, yeah. Like, I think they're going to go big because, mm-hmm. you know, at this point, why not? And I mean, of course, the other thing that, you know, we have to talk about is, at, you know, X-Men, the animated series is coming back at some point. Yeah, which I'm sort of like, I'm excited because I obviously love X-Men. I loved X-Men, the animated series and all that stuff. Part of me is, feels like you don't need to do this. Like there have been, well, there's been one good X, well, no, two. I guess a lot of people like X-Men Evolution. That I didn't, that wasn't my thing. I didn't care for but it. But no. Wolverine and the X-Men, I think, is legitimately good. Yeah. Um, so they can do an X-Men animated series. It feels a bit pandery to me. Obviously we haven't seen it, but to just be like, right. it's the same show and it takes place in the nineties and they look the same and all this stuff. And like, it seems like they're going to do some interesting stuff. Like the fact that I think Jean, what did I read that Jean's pregnant in it or something like that. So that'll be cable Jean is pregnant cable or Rachel. We don't know. 
Wait, or Rachel. Yeah, good point. It could be. It could be. Someone online suggested, like, what if in this version it's twins and they both get, they do a Luke and Leia, but instead of, you know, one sent to, they're sent to separate timelines. I'm like, yeah. oh my God, that'd be cool. I'm like, I'm down for that. Um, and I don't know. Uh, I'm curious to see what they're going to do with that. And I think they're having, I think I also read or heard that they're having Magneto be the leader in this one. Yeah. Which, which is, is, which is something that happened the in the comics uh, from earlier on, but like, um, and they're keeping his purple costume and not the, the with it. the big M on it. With no, the they, they, they have him with the, at least in one episode. Oh, fun. Comic-Con oh, I didn't see year, that. At Comic-Con last year, they showed him wearing the purple with the opera gloves and the, that ridiculous outfit. So at least for a moment, <laughs> he's going to have that, his, his quote, good guy costume. I love for, it for a minute. I know me too. I'm like, I never thought I'd see that in any thing. Well, um, and that is something I, that like, yeah. You kind of have to, maybe that's something that they're going to do. Like Magneto is one of my favorite X-Men characters. And, 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 you know, in this current run of the comics, I haven't really talked about him too much, but like, he's done some really interesting stuff and had some tough stuff to, to, uh, you know, happen to him and everything like that. But one of the best things about him in the comics is that he reforms at least for a while. Like he yeah. realizes the error of his ways. He becomes a teacher for the X-Men. He becomes the teacher of the new mutants. Like he, like once yeah. Charles kind of goes, uh, uh, you lead. And then he's replaced by cable and that leads into the, the eighties X four stuff, but, or the nineties X four stuff. But, um, like he, he can work. He's a more hard minded person. He's not as kind of flowery or as uh, idealistic, I guess, as Charles, yes. but he's still a believer in the cause and everything like that. It's, it's only their kind of differing ideologies that have made them clash in the past. And also Magneto's willingness to do, you know, uh, murder. <laughs> in, well, that the, was, in the f- yeah. That was one of my favorite things in the early house of X stuff was when Moira came to them and said, you know, I've seen every, these timelines I've been through like eight timelines, every timeline where the two of you cannot resolve your differences ends in disaster. You have to find a way to compromise because you're stronger together than apart. And I'm like, I like that. You know, and they yeah. kind of, and Xavier has to compromise a little bit because, you know, we see Magneto give, but we very rarely see Xavier concede mm. anything, but he, he kind of does. So I, I love that. I've loved Magneto in this run. I mean, Magneto's a I mean, great, great character. Magneto is so cool. And like, there's that, yeah. the trial of Magneto is, I think, a really interesting. It's much yeah. less about Magneto and more, it's much more about Scarlet Witch, but, um, yeah, I, I think it's really a, a, an interesting thing to do with um, Magneto. And then he goes off to Mars in, in like exile. He's like, I have done wrong. I need to I need to atone for my sins. I'm, let me go to Mars. And then he kind of becomes a de facto defender of Mars. And then um, oh, we didn't even mention the friggin uh, Eternals. F- like oh my attacking. god, that's a whole other thing. It's a whole other that thing. Was but basically- during that moment where they were trying to make Eternals happen. Yeah. Yeah, like because yeah, yeah. the movie is coming out, but you know the comics it's were a good. Story, the yeah. comics were good. The comics were good. Um, so um, a lot of people like him. So yeah, Magneto's just—he's so fascinating. Yeah, he's one of the greatest creations. Mostly, even though it's a Stanley Jack Kirby creation, it's Claremont who gave him. Well, yeah, because he. Yeah, like there's the the famous um, I Magneto issue where like he he comes back yeah. and he's like a thorn in their side. And then he kind of goes, Oh geez, like, what did I do? Like, yeah. you're absolutely right. I've done so bad. And then that of course leads to like his, and I think his that's redemption. such a huge part of, yeah, his redemption. Like, I think that's such a huge part of 
that character is that he's not pure evil. And actually, no. most of them aren't. I think that's something that the no, even the really, ones that we think yeah. are the worst, ha- they all have, except for Sabretooth, who's really is unrepentingly evil. Um, yeah, and Sinister as well. Know. But well, you know, but they sometimes I'm like, I don't think Moira would be so bad if, for example, Mystique and Destiny Destiny hadn't burned her to death in one of their lives. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. that's one of those things where, like, you know, if they hadn't done that. They just maybe shot her in the head and let her live. No, they tortured her to death. And right. so, yeah, no wonder she hates mutants through all these lives. Because Mystique and Destiny, who have many cool traits, also have they're, – they're layered. Everybody's layered. But nobody's pure, bad, or good for the most part. Yeah. You know, sentinels are bad because they are, you know, robots. Right. But I think know. there's a lot of room in, in to get back to the MCU of it all. Like, yeah, there's there has to be big X-Men movies like that's just a, a a must. I think even more so than most of the I mean, as we're seeing, like Secret Invasion was a swing and a miss, except for the acting. Oh, um, God, yeah. Um, and so, and a lot of these miss. shows have just not been good. Um, but I think that one of the things that the X-Men could bring is the the idea of this like miniseries events of just a, a, an yes. ensemble show with a bunch of maybe not the a-list but like there are so many right. there are so many mutant characters who are all cool that you yep. could absolutely if they're not going to be in a movie you could put them on a show and i think that that is something that would be you know th- what we talked about earlier with you know the branching out of all the titles after house and powers like you could have yeah a mainline x-men movie series you could even do maybe like a um an x-force movie series but then you could have a marauder show or an excalibur yeah. show or a new mutant show and it would just be like yeah why I wouldn't you do going, all that stuff i think it's going to happen i really do think that post secret wars that the mc is going to really lean into the x-men oh because yeah because i really do feel that for the average viewer the avengers brand is robert Downey jr's iron man chris hemsworth's thor chris evans is captain america Yep, you can change it up, but like I think for people, it's going the average viewer, it's going to feel like oh, it's the Kmart Avengers. Mm-hmm. Like even if they like characters on, it doesn't have the stars on it. So I think they'd be smart to lean into the X Men of it all because yes. there's so much you could do so much on these Disney Plus shows with X Factor, X Factor Investigations, yeah. Excalibur, like you know, which is Doctor Who but with mutants. You know, basically at least the Claremont version of it was like we're doing timey wimey going through dimensions stuff, but we happen to be mutants living in a lighthouse in off the UK. Um, there's yeah. just the, the, the sky's the limit with that. So I do think that they'll probably lean into that more, but you know, we'll see. I think X-Men 97 is probably the first step because it is a Marvel studios production. Yep. Like it is definitely Feige is at least somewhat involved in that. And I do think they're, we're, they're going to establish that as the X-Men animated series universe is officially part of the Marvel multiverse. Like, Mm-hmm. All that stuff happened. It it counts in the greater, you know, scheme of things. I think when this multiverse saga is done, we're going to find out like really just the MCU didn't really start with Iron Man. It started probably with X-Men in 2000. Like it's all going to count. Yeah. It's all going to yeah. be part of this greater thing, which is cool to me. I like that. I love that as a nerd. Like that's one of my, like everything counts. You know, I like when they do that. Like it all, it, it it's all tied together. Some people hate that. I know, but I'm not one of those people. Like I like how it all works together. No. And, and like, 
it's it is really cool to see like um spider-man no way home was a really good like hey all of these yeah. were actually part of the mcu technically and it's like oh great you know, like, yeah yeah like when i did i think I did, recently i did a list with us for us about the the, the hallway fights in mcu and i'm like amazing spider-man he's an mcu character now andrew garfield yep. spider-man is an mcu character that happens within the cosmology of the mcu even if it's an adjacent universe mm-hmm. they all count and i think we're about to find out the x-men the animated series that we grew up with counts like it's part of it well you know? we they they broached that a little bit with multiverse of madness when they had patrick stewart as professor x show up in not in his x-men movie garb and chair no, in he's... in the cartoon with the little like like playing kind of on the on the soundtrack like they want us to know that the x-men both movies and cartoon are part of everything and like part of everything yeah i mean they have to acknowledge the cartoon is why you gotta be real real about it the the x-men cartoon is why there's an mcu if you really want it like yep the success of the x-men cartoon propelled them into the mainstream in a way that they just weren't before like that was x-men was huge among comic book fans but nobody else knew who they were i was like you know it was the biggest comic in the 80s when i was a kid Mm -hmm. but it wasn't until the cartoon in 92 that it really blew up into this mainstream success Mm -hmm. that that made wolverine and all these characters household names like the the impact of that show can't be understated the movie of x-men would not have been greenlit without that cartoon Absolutely um, not. Absolutely. And not. without the success of the X-Men movies, there's no MCU. So it all comes right back down to, I mean, it all comes back to the comics, but in terms yeah. of media, in terms of media representation, the X-Men cartoon is, is ground zero. So I do like that the MCU is kind of acknowledging that like there is none of this without Spider-Man. The animated series wouldn't have happened without X-Men blowing up, you know, like, yeah. It, and it's weird because the show it was r- sometimes real rough, like in terms of it's no Batman, the animated series. No. Well, that's like, no. and that is the like really what makes that stand out is like Batman, the animated series had money behind it. Like it actually yes. had the ability to tell these things, but they were one-off kind of adventures. You know, they were doing yes, a specific yes. thing. X-Men, the animated series didn't have a ton of money for animation because it was like a small Canadian company that was making it. Yeah. Um, but they had the, the amazing designs from the Jim Lee era. Yep. They had amazing stories to pull from, from the Claremont era. And yep. they had the, the devotion to do serialized storytelling on a, chi- yes. a kid's cartoon in the nineties, which was yeah, and, almost I, unheard I mean, of. It was totally unheard of. And they fought really hard. Like the woman, I think her name is Margaret Loesch. She was the mm-hmm. woman who brought X-Men to, who tried for years because I mean, X-Men had an animated pilot in the late eighties, right. which ended up being the basis for the, the video game. But um, mm-hmm. it, nobody wanted it at Fox kids. Like, you know, it was just a bunch of old, you know, it was a bunch of old fogies probably who were like, why do what? And she's like, the first issue of this comic just sold 8 million copies. The trading cards are selling like crazy. This will be huge. And they finally were like, okay, we'll do what you want. But if, this doesn't work, then you need to find another job, basically. Like, they told her that. And yeah. then it, overnight, Fox went from, like, fourth place Saturday mornings to, like, first place because yeah. of X-Men, because of this one show. And, I mean, they were all caught unawares. And I'm like, how could you have been caught unawares when this was so huge for so long in, you know, no comic had sold 8 million copies. No. You know? And, you know, it, it was just weird. But they had this one patron, this woman who was a patron of it, who, who pushed it through. 
And lo and behold, it, of course, kids glommed onto it. Like what kid doesn't feel different, you know, or doesn't understand no matter what they are, you know, it doesn't matter. Every kid, you know, feels like they're marginalized in some way. Yeah. Because you're marginalized from adulthood, you know, like you're treated differently. So of course they glommed onto it. Like, yeah, I, the, the, the importance of that cartoon, despite its, you know, flaws animation wise, it can't be, you know, you can't oversell how important it was. No. And, um, and watching it, unlike a lot of, I mean, Batman the animated series, like kind of all those Batman shows and Superman are really still good. And I, you know, oh, I'm yeah, not I watch all the time, but re- recently rewatching the X-Men cartoon, which I hadn't done for a while. Like, yeah, it's the animation's rough or whatever. Some of the voice acting is a little ropey, but they never, they, they softened the storytelling. Obviously there's not huge amounts of violence and there's no sex and anything like that. They softened it, but they never dumbed it down for kids. These were basically stories written for adults in a comic book that people weren't, you know, like it was for the X-Men fan and no one else or comic fans and no one else. And they, and they put all this stuff out there for kids in the nineties to watch. And yeah, to your point, like who doesn't feel different when you're a little kid? Um, this is a whole show about these people who feel different and are empowered because of it. Um, and yeah, it was, and, and then, you know, you have the colorful stuff and the, in the action to, to bring you in, but it's like what made people stick around was the storytelling and the characters. Yeah. It wasn't, it was serialized, you know, they really took it. They would do a whole long season arc of a show. Saturday morning cartoons didn't do that unless it was an anime import like Robotech or something, but like made for American audiences. Nope. And they came and they did that. And, you know, because they understood that the soap opera serialization is what made the comics what they were. Mm -hmm. And you had to transfer that over. And they really, they were, they were, they were successful at it, Mm -hmm. you know? And they eventually did that with uh, Spider-Man, the animated series too. Not the first season, but the second season onward, it was all, um, uh, you know, meta narratives pl- or, or, you know, uh, overarching plots and then like little episodes in between, which is what the X-Men were doing. Yeah. And, you know, for me, like I was already a teenager when those, like I, I wasn't a kid who grew up with them. Like the, the, the mm. cartoons I grew up with, there were superhero cartoons, but they were largely dumbed down. They were very, mm. it, it, it looked like the characters and generally, but it was made for little kids, right? you know, and for me, it was like, oh my god, these are the cartoons I wanted as a kid. So yeah, of course, I may be eighteen, but I'm getting up on Saturday morning to watch mm-hmm. my favorite, you know, characters come to life because it was I'd never seen them represented faithfully in any animation at the time. No. You know, you, you you know, even the stuff that I loved, I loved Spider Man and his Amazing Friends, but there was no time in the comics where Peter lived with Iceman and Firestar with like. At, and in Aunt May's basement where they had like computers and stuff. It was just like stuff that was just totally not the comics. Yeah. You know? Um, so yeah, X-Men and, animated series. I am excited about what they're going to do. Like I just, cause it seems like they're going to do some weird stuff. Like they're not going to just adapt the rest of the night. I would not be shocked if we get Krakoa at some point on this creature. I think they're going to go there, you know, God, because be so cool. Yeah. They did a comic recently they did an X-Men 92 comic and I didn't read it, but it was basically like, what if the Krakoa era happened to the animated versions? They, they've done that in a comic book form. I'm like, so there's precedent for it. Like they can go nuts, you know? Yeah. And the, and the concept and this run has been so popular that, yeah. And, and it's been, you know, the biggest thing in comics for the last few years. And like, um, 
why wouldn't the other titles like tie into it? Like you were saying earlier, like Iron Man now, yes, is written by Jerry Duggan, who's writing the mainline X-Men book, but Iron Man is now very integral to the, to the X-Men. Um, we had there for a while, uh, Zeb Wells, who had written Hellions went on to write amazing Spider-Man. He's currently writing amazing Spider-Man and they had that great dark web thing, which kind of brought in Madeline Pryor as the goblin queen. And now that she's going to go off, she make up, she, she decides to make amends at the end of that, at uh, that event. And now that's what leads her to leading X-Men dark. Uh, It's just like, it's all kind of, they're doing the things with the, with the Marvel universe that I wish everybody did uh, uh, making officially making uh, Ms. Marvel a, mutant in the comics the way that she is in the yeah. mcu i mean that's a that's a corporate synergy thing but i'm yeah for of course it. i i think i'm for it too. that's just a thing all that always happens at marvel and dc the tail yeah. always wags the dog if yeah. the, if the media yeah. version becomes if that's what millions of people see the movies and the tv shows and the cartoons yes if that becomes popular yes the comics are going to follow suit because they want a kid who sees that cartoon or that movie to pick up a comic and not be confused and be like, oh, <laughs> right. okay, this kind of looks right. So, of course, they were going to make Ms. Marvel a mutant. But they did it in a way that didn't negate anything that happened. People online freaked out when she died. And I was just like, y'all, she's in a movie coming up this fall. Yeah. This is comics. Do you not think she's going to be back in, like, oh, five minutes? Like, and they and exa- they did that. I mean, exact, I mean, the worst time for her to come back as a mutant, maybe. But um, Yeah, but she's still not out as, as a mutant. So No, she's not out as a mutant. No. Yeah. It's, and she doesn't her mutant power hasn't kicked in right we don't even know what we it is we don't know yet. what it is like she's they're like oh we just know that you have an x gene you know all her yeah. powers are her inhuman powers it's crazy it's really fun though because it's she super then fun. is yeah it's like you're the only inhuman who's also a mutant like we didn't know that was possible you know yeah. so it's 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 very cool um it's just such an exciting time to be like a fan of this stuff it you really know? is between the cartoon and the comics it's like you know, because they were neglected for so long. I mean, certainly in the comics, they were neglected before yeah. this era. For yeah, behind-the-scenes reasons that have yeah. to do with when Fox didn't own, or when when Marvel, Disney did not own X-Men, they basically tried to bury their lead franchise for you know reasons that were stupid, that were like, well, we can't make money off of the movies so, I mean, if, if if you've bought a Marvel shirt at Target any time over the last 10 years, notice that there are no X-Men on those shirts. Mm-hmm. Like, it's like a group thing. Because they purposely kept them out. It's their biggest franchise outside of Spider-Man. And yep. they really tried to, all for stupid, behind-the-scenes business reasons that were short-sighted. You know, because they've always made money off X-Men merchandise. Fox never did. So it's like, why wouldn't you make money, Disney, off of X merch? Well, you can yeah. still make that money, you yeah. know. And they didn't. And but once the deal was done, and you know, whatever corporate merger, bad or not, once that happened, they were like, yeah, let's pay attention to X Men again. Like we have to. And since then, it's been great. Like, yeah, they've taken the care in the comics anyway. They've definitely taken the care to uh, make it as good as it is and like yeah hickman left 
and some of the other writers who had been kind of staples uh, have have gone on to different things or whatever. But you still have Jerry Duggan, who was on there. He wrote Marauders first, and now he's writing Mainline X-Men and Invincible Iron Man. And you still have Ben Percy, who has been writing X-Force and Wolverine since the beginning. Since, and he is still writing both of those. <laughs> yeah. Come on. Pull a Chris Claremont, Benjamin Percy. Like, yeah, just yeah, keep writing that. X-Force. Like, I'm, I'm into it. Just keep writing it. Yeah. Um, it's, it's so yeah. Cool. It's so good. And I, and I hope that this continues and it's just been, like I said, it's just been a, like we both said, I mean, this I, is an exciting I want time them to, to be Krakoa back. I do. Yeah. I don't want them to go. I don't want to see them back in the mansion, not in the capacity. Like if they go back to this is Xavier school for gifted youngsters. And you know, we're, we're you know, like, I, I just don't know how you go back to that. And the movies, it's different. Mm-hmm. If they want to go do that in the movies, it's fine. But like in the comics, no way. Like you cannot go home again, as far as I'm concerned. No. I mean, you could do something with the X-Man, whatever, but like, I don't want the Krakoa era to just get wished away or forgotten about or retconned away. No, it, that needs to be a... the new status quo going forward. Like, yeah. it, until so, there's so, a huge, like maybe company-wide reboot, which yes. will definitely happen. Um, Marvel's always been smart about not having to do that. That's true. They DC does it, it all the time. DC does it all the time, but Marvel, when they were in really dire straits in the early 2000s, when they're when they were in bankruptcy and their comics weren't selling, they're like, "Let's do a reboot," which was the ultimate line. But let's have it just be four comics in their own little separate universe. We're gonna let the other ones continue, and it worked. Like they never yeah. had to erase adult Spider-Man or adult, like you know. And then they just slowly incorporated stuff that worked in the Ultimate Comics into the main marvel universe and that for for 10 years it worked Mm -hmm. and nobody got confused and they didn't have to hit the reset button so marvel has always been pretty good about that i don't know if they'll ever fully fully reboot but i don't want again the krakoa era is too interesting i mean i i don't think they're going to get their homeland back for probably a year i imagine this this storyline is going to run for a little bit yeah i mean it's it's just the beginning of fall of x and you have to actually have the fall before the, the saviors all by again. himself on that beach, you know, by himself. Did you see what Marvel t- tweeted out? No, I it, didn't. It, it, oh my God. They just had the panel from fall of X with him, like on his knees, crying, sobbing on the beach. And they, they just, this was from the official Marvel account and they just made a Barbie reference and they're like, his job was beach. And like, I'm like, Oh my God, you did like, ouch. Ouch. Why would you do that? <laughs> Why would you do that? But I laughed. I laughed. <laughs> but it's 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 a brutal moment for them. But you know, again, I do think I don't think anyone who's dead is not going to come back. It's just a matter of time. Yeah, you know, and we still don't even They're know not the full kill. breath no. of who is even alive still. Like we know some of the people, but we don't know everybody. Well, they went through the portals, and and Xavier believes it's like they went through a meat grinder. But I'm like, I don't see any bodies. Yeah. So I know comic book rules. Like, yeah. even if they don't show up on Mars, they're somewhere like something's going to happen. And the five, I don't think, did they die? No, they, they no. were taken off. I forget who grabbed them, but somebody took them off. All right. Well, if they're alive somewhere, then, then at some point. Yeah, it's going to, it's fine. Them. It's they're all, there are, it will be back. fine. I'm just here for the, I'm here for the, for the, for the ride. I'm here yeah. for the ride and what they're going to do. And I want to see them kick Orcus's ass so badly. Yeah. Like I've never wanted to see the X-Men get revenge on a bad guy. The way that I have wanted them to get revenge on Orcus. Ugh, they're and, the absolute and, worst. They're, they're, I mean, because they've always talked about it. Like, we've had all these human hate, mutant hating mm-hmm. groups and stuff, but like none of them have ever really like 
This one has the money through. behind it to do all this, this one has stuff. The money behind it Ugh. to do everything that they want, and they've done it. And but I think we're going to see the human world turn on them because I, I know you didn't read Iceman, not yet. But I, like, there's I, I'll spoil a small thing in Iceman. We sure. see like Orcus Sentinel whatever things attacking the Castro neighborhood in San Francisco, and humans are running, you know, which is the neighborhood there, and. This guy's like, I'm not even a mutant wire. And they're like, because they took like, he's like, I took mutant horse growth hormone once as a party drug like 10 years ago in a hookup, but it still never leaves your system. And they're coming after me. So they're going to start coming after humans who have taken like mutant growth because like, it'll detect them too. Ugh. And the human community is not going to be down with that. They're going to be like, what? Like it's going to, once they're targeted too. Because remember, this is something that this is this run has done. Which is like ultimately the sentinels and all of that, they don't like any biological life. Right. You know, they Yeah, that they, they set up early on that the the end point is that the machines take over and kill off all the humans too. And yeah, because then they are come from humans. Right. Yeah. It's like it's a, something Hickman set up that was really interesting that like in every timeline the the ascendancy of mutants is coupled with the ascendancy of AI. Um, mm -hmm. a singularity like they both kind of and they are in forever conflict and for the sentinels and the artificial intelligence to win they have to take out the humans too because that's where mutants come from yep you know they're ultimately just mutated humans <laughs> you know yeah they're, they're not a separate branch they come from humans so at some point humans are probably going to realize that like yeah we're targets too you know so yeah yeah, it's 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 a great time to be an X Men fan. <laughs> it sure is, and we have talked a long yeah. time, and we could continue we to have. talk, but but we yeah. have, uh, and we'll we'll have you back on at some point to talk more about X Men as more things uh, unfold, and perhaps after the uh, uh, X Men ninety seven premieres or something like that, we can we can uh, talk again. Oh, but, for sure, um, Eric, how can people get a hold of you on the internet should they wish to do so? Um, I am at Geek Boy Eric on Twitter, which I refuse to call anything else. Sure. Twitter. Yep. Um, and yeah, that's pretty much it. Uh, I'm on threads too. Uh, Geek boy, Eric on threads. If you know that ever takes off. Um, and yeah, go read all of Eric's great um, stuff on nerdist.com. He writes a ton about star Trek. He also writes, is going to write a ton about blue beetle once that is out. So um, please uh, go there. You can find me. I'm not on Twitter. I, I got, I pulled that plug a while ago. Um, you can follow me on Instagram at functional underscore nerd. You can follow me on letterboxd at Kyle underscore Anderson. Um, and yeah, I think that's it. And definitely follow me on Instagram if you like um, cats, because I have a lot of cat photos. <laughs> he does. He does um, and that's about it. Um, so yeah, please uh, thank you all for listening. Please uh, send us some feedback at uh, laserfocus at nerdist.com if you'd like to. Um, and otherwise, I will see you next week here when my guest will be a different person. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Laser Focus is a production of Nerdist Industries and Legendary Digital Networks. It was produced, edited, and hosted by me, Kyle Anderson. For more, visit Nerdist.com. Nerdist.com.